0: Okay, who's ready for the seminar? I said, who is ready? I've had the joy of knowing Carolyn for 10 years. Now, Carolyn, come here. Come on, Come on stand here. This is Carolyn. This is my friend Carolyn, everyone. She's very shy. She's not shy at all. Um... I've had the joy of knowing Carolyn for 10 years. We've been on team together through 12 to 14s. And um, I just want to say, Stephen, we're going to do it today a bit more like an interview. Stephen's going to interview Carolyn. She's going to share her story. But I just wanted to say, I genuinely count it a privilege to know this woman. She is the most loyal. She is the most passionate. She is the most Jesus-centered, Jesus-loving woman that I think I have ever met. And so we are genuinely so blessed to have Carolyn speaking. Can we give Carolyn a massive round of applause? So, uh, just
1: so you know, my role at New Day is to lead 12 to 14s, and it's an a massive privilege that I love. And the first year I, I did it, I got here, and I was like, wow, there's a lot to do. Carolyn, you should come and help me. And ever since, Carolyn has basically runs 12 to 14s. I get to do all stuff on stage, but Carolyn makes sure that everything happens, makes sure you guys are well looked after and have an amazing fun. So, Carolyn, baby, you're on! She also hates praise, and the opportunity to do it is great. So I had the opportunity to uh, interview Carolyn. Uh, Carolyn's also a member of the church that I'm at as well, with her husband Merrill, and her daughter was singing on stage this morning as well. Isabel doing the BBs as well. So she's great; and she's everywhere all the time. But Carolyn, you've got an amazing story as well. I have. You have. So. Can you it's hear working. Carolyn? Can
2: you hear me? Can you
1: hear me now? Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Can you hear me
2: now? Fine, so Karen's got a great story. She's going
1: to tell you about this morning. So I'm going to ask some questions as we go. Can I ask us to shot? Is it, is it going through the doors or the back, the can noise? That? For the back, okay, that's fine. That's fine. Okay, so Carolyn, I'm going to ask you, because you're a bit of a messy child, what is your earliest memory? Uh,
2: so my first ever memory is... Um, of my brother. So I had an older sister and a younger brother. My brother was a year and a half younger than me. And uh, my first memory is a sad memory because I can remember my brother being in a big, giant industrial cot, Um, like you see in old fashioned, like 1920s kind of movies and I couldn't get to him. And I can just remember being really sad about that. And the reason that my brother was in this big cot was because my parents had separated and you know when you watch those movies and your par- you see the parents separate and they fight over who wants the kids, my parents did the opposite. They fight, fought over who didn't want the kids, and so neither of them wanted us, and so they put us into a children's home. And so that's my first memory of being in a children's home with my slightly older sister and my baby brother.
1: Nice. So Chana's uh, a bit sad.
2: Uh, you're listening to the children's so I'm having enough of that. Uh, so. <clears throat> My voice is a little bit husky because part of my job this week is to shout at people a lot. Um, so after that, uh, a friend of my parents found out that they had three children. I can do this right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's going to be a bit emotional. It's going to be a bit emotional. Karen's going to cry. I think it's pretty so yeah. that I'll probably cry as well. Yeah. Just to give you a heads up there. Okay. okay.
2: So a uh, friend of my mum's found out that my mum and dad had three children and she was just really shocked that they were living the life and their three children were in a children's home. And so she made a deal with my dad, who lived in the family home, and said, look, if I get your kids, if you get your kids out of that children's home and I promise to look after them, would you, would you do that? Would you, you know, go and sign your kids out of this children's home? And my dad agreed, so this woman moved into our house and, <laughs> and she... Um, She rescued us. She saved us from a life in care, basically. And we went back home to my dad's house and lived with my dad. About a month or two after we moved back to my dad's house, my mum turned up and came into my sister and left me and my younger brother with this woman and my dad.
1: Okay. Uh, So then after that, your dad did actually come and get you at some point, didn't he? My
2: mum. My mum.
1: Your, so at this point, explain. So you living with this woman. they no, living with my dad. That dad and, and this, like, okay, this woman
2: in, in the house. Okay.
1: So then there's a dramatic bit in your charted where Karen was kidnapped.
2: Tell us about that. So uh, <clears throat> my dad has uh, likes lots of women. My dad's a womanizer, and he has this new girlfriend who moves in, and she becomes my stepmom. Uh, she's very young. She doesn't know how to look after children. Uh, she's living with a guy who is gambling all his money, sleeping around all the time. She's stressed, she can't cope, and she doesn't like us very much. So life was pretty miserable. At that time, I was about six and a half, seven, and my mum used to come to the school to visit me with the headmaster's permission. And on this particular day, she turns up at my school, and she often visits myself and my brother, and she turns up at school on, that, on this particular day, and she said, hey, let's run away together. I was seven and thought, this is it. This is the fairy tale, right? Because I dreamed that one day my mum would come and get me. And uh, so I just go, yeah! And so she leaves my brother, doesn't take my brother out of school, and we run away. We go to her house, we pick up my older sister, who I haven't seen for like three years, and we go into hiding. We spend three weeks hiding from the police and from my my dad, who are looking for us. And... uh, Seems like fun, run, you know, going around to different people's houses. And at the end of those three weeks, at some point, somebody's obviously told the police who where where I am and who I'm with. And we go back to my mum's house. <clears throat> a day after we get back to my mum's house, my dad turns up at my mum's house with a suitcase, 50p, and says, "There you go. See you later."
1: So the first the first few years of your life, bit kind of being passed pillar to post. My dad's house. Chionzo, this lady and your dad, now with your mum. Lots of different changes. Uh, What's what's it like then with your mum living with her? Is it the dream that you had? As you know, things are going to get better now that you're with your mum finally.
2: So yeah, my great dream becomes my living nightmare. My mum uh, drinks a lot, parties a lot, has multiple different boyfriends who abuse her, steal her money. She lies, she cheats, she teaches, teaches us to lie and cheat. Um, and we're just neglected. Feeding us, clothing us is way down on the priority list. Caring for us, is all that stuff's way down. I'm at school. I'm being bullied really, really badly. Um, I was being up almost every single day of school. On one occasion, a, a boy at school um, smashed me in the face and there's blood everywhere. And school said, you really need to see a doctor. But nobody would take me to the doctor. So I just went home um, and just sat around with just blood and not knowing what to do. It wasn't unusual for me to come home from school and sit on the doorstep till 11 o'clock at night till my mum came home from the pub. I looked terrible. And I look at pictures of me of a ch- as a child, like my school photos. It's not, They're not nice. I had holes in my clothes. I had f- holes in my shoes. School dinners was... Often the only time that I ate, it was awful.
1: It's bad, but it gets worse. There's <laughs> a particular instant that's a bit of a turning point for you in terms of your childhood. Do you want to tell us about that?
2: Yep. So when I was about ten and a half, uh, my mum got a new boyfriend. <laughs> we rehearse this, and I never cry. <laughs> Uh, My mum got a new boyfriend and um, he had a job and he seemed like a really normal person and my mum was very happy and uh, we started eating, we had food and and things looked different. And then about a couple of months in, he started to behave strangely to me. We would now call that inappropriate behaviour. He kissed me in a way that an older man shouldn't kiss a child and... Um, I actually told my mum that he was kissing me wrongly and I can remember her saying don't tell anyone that they'll get the wrong idea and then one night he came into my bedroom um, and sexually assaulted me Uh, I told my mum and uh, I told my mum the next day I was sent off to school and when I came home from school that day my mum said that she'd been to the police but the police had said uh, well, really, what do you want us to do? You know, it's not really that big a deal. And they just weren't interested. And for me, it was a massive turning point in my life because I, I'd got used to the fact that my mum and dad didn't love me or care about me. My teachers didn't really seem to care about me. I got that. That was, that was how it was. But the police were the police, right? You just think, they're there for you. They're, they're the authority. And so at that point... When my mum said that to me, I just thought, well, that's it. Even the police are not bothered about what happens to me or how my life is. Well done.
1: So uh, you've hit a massive turning point in your life in terms of your own outlook, in terms of fighting for yourself and stuff like that. And what, is, what is the next stage of your life, 10 to 16? What does that look like, living with your mum and your boyfriend and things like that?
2: So <clears throat> that boyfriend moves out. And about a year later, a new boyfriend moves in, and he's an alcoholic. My mum already drinks enough, um, and she starts drinking more. Um, and it just you, you just become invisible. Nobody really knows what's going on. Nobody cares. And so I just, I just did whatever I wanted to do. And a lot of you might think, oh, well, wow, that's cool. I'd love if my parents just let me do whatever I wanted to do. It's not a great place. It's not a good feeling at all. I, I went through those years. I picked up all the tricks and trades that my mum had taught me. I lied. I manipulated. Uh, about 14, 15, my sister introduced me to drugs. An adult friend of, uh, that I knew introduced me to pornography. Uh, I got a boyfriend at about 15 and started sleeping with him. Uh, within about a month of sleeping with him, he started hitting me. Um, I'd come home with bruises, marks, whatever. Nobody really said anything. It was just, it was just how it was. Um, so it, it just was worse, just got worse and worse.
1: Yeah. And I'm uh, feeling in love. And um, I know that eventually you moved out after an incident. Can you tell us about that?
2: Yeah, so <clears throat> about just about a week before my 16th birthday, I uh, had a massive row with my mum. I had, something had clicked in me anyway and I had dumped the abusive boyfriend and I had this massive row with my mum and um, she was really angry and she locked me in the house and I just thought, enough is enough, I'm done with this, I don't need to do this anymore. And so I packed a bag, I threw my bag out the window, I climbed out the window. I knew a guy um, who had emigrated and left his flat. So I broke into his flat and changed the locks, which is a trick that my mum had taught me. And uh, I lived in that flat and put that behind me.
1: So most of us can imagine if you had that kind of childhood, that kind of upbringing, not felt very loved by anyone, looked after by anyone, including the authorities, it's not a great start in life. We're probably not going to make you the most rounded teenager. Do you want to tell us about your teenage years a bit more then?
2: So... I say I put that behind me. I didn't really. I just took it all with me. I just was a living, walking train wreck. I just, just did everything, any, anything and everything you could think of. I did loads of drugs. I would club and party all night. I held down a job. Only God knows how. Uh, <clears throat> I slept around. Um, at one point, I would just for the sake of it, slept with my best friend's boyfriend just because why not? You know, I just did whatever I wanted. I lied. I hustled. I manipulated Anyhow, I wanted.
1: You hustled? I'm learning loads of words. What's, what do you mean hustled?
2: So I, I felt like life owed me, right? I'd, I'd had a bad deal, you know? Nobody had done anything for me, so everybody in the world owed me. So if I wanted something, I'd just go for it. Um, so an example of that is that uh, I lived in a flat, and uh, it was a bit small, and I thought I want a bigger, better flat. And so I got my one of my friends who was pregnant to sign up at a new doctor's, and uh, she signed up at a new doctor's and said that she was Carolyn. I got a certificate saying she was pregnant. I stuffed a jumper, cushioned up my jumper, went down to the council with my pregnancy certificate, and said, "Hi, I'm Carolyn. I'm pregnant. Give me somewhere to live." And I got a two-bedroom flat.
1: That's bad. That's bad. That's bad. That's bad. Uh, so it says about you, you got a new boyfriend though.
2: Yep. So I got to about 19. I'm living in a flat, I'm living my life. And I start going out with this guy uh, called Meryl. Um, we're living okay in my own world, not at all. Uh, we argue loads. There's loads of friction. There's loads of tension constantly between us. And uh, we do a fair amount of drugs and are spending a fair amount of money on drugs, and so we just think this isn't really, you know, working out. We're spending so much money on drugs. We need to kind of change the way we do this. I love this.
1: So you're spending too much... You know you're spending too much money on drugs. So what do you do? Stop taking drugs, kids, or...
2: No, so we started selling drugs.
1: Sell drugs. Because... Uh, Smooth.
2: That just meant that we were getting our drugs for free. So, so we start selling drugs, and... Um, yeah, we're just, it's, it's just a continuous train wreck, but now I'm doing it with someone else.
1: Great, and that's why she's here at New Day serving you guys. She's just such a wonderful character with great traits. We just love her. Now, obviously, something happened for you to leave this dark and unloved place. What happened? What was, what's, what's the big cha- change around? We'll wait. They're all waiting for it, yeah? Tell us <laughs> what happened.
2: So, um, unbeknown to me, uh, my boyfriend, Meryl, um, has been talking to God. And uh, one night, we're in our flat in Brixton, and a guy knocks on the door. So I go out and answer the door. Uh, never seen this guy before. He asked for Meryl. So I think, oh, right, he's come to buy some drugs. So go back in the house. And say, oh, there's a bloke at the door for you. So he goes out and invites this guy in. And it turns out that Meryl's been praying and saying, God, if you're real, would you show yourself to me? And God, God, in his ridiculous mercy, um, goes to this guy in a dream three times and says, go find Merrill." And the third time he comes, and he knocks on our door, and he comes and tells us I about think it's, Jesus. I think it's fair
1: to say this guy, when really had the first two dreams, was thinking, no, thank you, I don't want really to see Meryl. No. Because Merrill, let me tell you, is a fairly big bloke. <laughs> Okay. He's, he's not the kind of guy who just approached just in a dark alley, you know what I'm saying?
2: No. So he knew Meryl from the estate, and he knew Meryl didn't really make his life very nice when he lived on the estate, because this guy's been a Christian all his life. So he comes, and, and he tells us about Jesus, and I pretend that I'm not listening, and he invites us to a baptism. And uh, we agree to go, and we go along to this baptism a couple of weeks later. And it's a local swimming bath. And we walk in and there's this bloke standing in the water and he's splashing the water. He's talking about Jesus and saying, yeah, you know, Jesus this, Jesus that. And he says, you know, the water's so good. And uh, why don't you come on in? There's people out there. Some of you just want to get in the water. And I feel this ridiculous urge over me to get in the water. I'm like, I've got to get in the water. I've got to get in the water. am like, no way, man. So I grab on to this door frame that's next to me, and I'm holding it really tightly and thinking, I ain't getting in no water. And uh, Meryl turns around and looks at me at one point and says, you all right? I'm like, yeah, fine, leave me alone. (sighs) Scripping. And uh, so we watch these people get baptized, and afterwards we go along to their main church service. And uh, they are singing songs about Jesus you know, looking at the words and going, oh, yeah, love, blah, 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 whatever. You know, singing these songs. And I look next to me, and there's Meryl standing next to me. His hand's like this, and his hands are leaking. And I look, and I think, his hands are leaking? What is that about? And then I realize, no, his hands aren't leaking stupid. He's crying. This froze me because I've lived with this guy for a fair number of years, and I have never seen him cry. So I'm like, okay, it's a little bit weird, but Okay. And then we sit down, and the bloke at the front starts talking about Jesus, and Jesus did this, and Jesus did that. And I move this way, and he still keeps looking at me. And I move this way, and he still keeps looking at me. And I'm fairly uncomfortable. Then at the end, he says, uh, So if you'd like to know Jesus as your Savior, why don't you come on up to the front? Nobody moves. So then he says, If you brought someone with you today and you think they might like to know Jesus, but they need a bit of help, why don't you go get them? So this guy that had bought us, he's sitting a couple of rows in front. He gets up, he walks around, because we're on the back row, because that's where you should sit if you're not a Christian, right? And uh, he comes around and he goes like this to touch Meryl's shoulder. And before he touches him, Meryl stands up and walks down to the front. And I'm looking and going, what on earth? And then the guy walks around me and walks up to the front, and I think, is about right? Or would God want me? It's okay. So Meryl becomes a Christian, and uh, he, at the end of the service, we go and talk to the bloke. I now know he's called a pastor. So we talk to the pastor and uh, we tell this pastor that actually we think we'd like to get married. We've lived together for five years. We think we'd like to get married. And he says, great, why don't I come and see you? So he says he'll come and see us on the Wednesday. So on the Wednesday night he comes to our house and he's talking to Mary you know, saying how you find finding it, being a Christian and all this kind of stuff. And, and just in the middle of this conversation he suddenly turns around, looks at me and says, what about you? About me, why didn't you become a Christian on Sunday? Nobody asked me. And he says, Well, I'm asking you now. And I genuinely, in that moment, just thought, The guy's a complete lunatic. So I said, Can't become a Christian because this ain't a church. And he says, You don't have to be in church to become a Christian. So before I thought he was a lunatic, now I know he is. Because you cannot become a Christian in a flat in Brixton where there's drugs in the other room. That ain't happening. But he says, do you want to? And I just, in that second, just thought, do you know what? I've tried loads of things. I'll try it. Why not? I'll give that a go. So he says a prayer. And I sit on my chair opposite him. And uh, I repeat the prayer. And then I open my eyes, and I look at him, and he looks at me, and I go, Pfft. and he says, you don't feel any different, do you? And I went, nah. And he slipped looked at me and went, you will. And I became a Christian. <laughs>
1: Did you end up feeling different?
2: Yeah, I did. Um very different. I yeah. I um yeah, I yeah, I <laughs> I It's quite an easy question. It's an easy question. I um I had looked after myself all of my life. I I I haven't had got a memory really before that point where I thought, I'm looked after, there's someone looking after me. And, uh, and when you look after yourself, when you've got to keep yourself and, and find food and, and find basic necessities to get through life, when you've got to dodge the bullies and the sexual predators and all of that kind of stuff, you get pretty tough. And, uh, and there's lots of ways to get tough. You get tough physically, you get tough in your mouth, so yeah, I had a hard tongue and a, and a very harsh way. Some say I am still a little bit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> don't answer. Um, and, and one of the things that I did is I became a professional builder. I couldn't lay bricks, I wasn't a carpenter, but I built a massive, massive fortress around myself. Nobody got in, nobody got past it. You you couldn't make me cry. You couldn't get an emotion out of me. I I had it covered. I was hard to the core. And uh, when I came to Jesus, one of the things I found out was his fortress is bigger than mine. He, He had a much bigger fortress. And actually, one of the first things that he did was say, let's take down the fortress. Let's start dissembling these bricks. And... That sounds good, right? You think that's a good thing. That's unbelievably painful. That's really hard. Stephen made a joke earlier and says, I don't like praise. Um, I'm better at praise now than I was. When I first got saved, I can remember being in church one day, maybe a month after I got saved, and I walked in and the woman at the door was, just had the greatest gift of hospitality ever. She remembered everybody's name, knew everything about everybody. And she said, hey, Carolyn. You look lovely today. God is going to bless you. And I turned around, went into the toilets and cried for 20 minutes because I couldn't handle it. That was too much. That I just It was too overwhelming. And so I kept holding on to my fortress because it's a lot more comfortable to just go, <laughs> whatever, and move on. than to go, okay, I'm going to be a bit vulnerable and I, I'm, I'm going to let you love me and I'm going to let you hurt me. Because there are human beings in the world, and even in church, people hurt you sometimes.
1: So, obviously, from that point on, so a little while back now, a few years on from that, but obviously, you got married to Merrill and lots of children, part of a church in London, and you moved to Brighton, part of our church, and in, in all kinds of ways, and uh, actually carried overseas our youth at one of our sites in Brighton. Uh, but obviously, you've grown up in a, a very messy uh, family in terms of your relationships with siblings, your parents and stuff. Do you want to tell us how that is? Where's your Disney happy ending that we've
2: been talking about this week? Uh, It's not there. Uh, So about a month or so after Meryl and I became Christians, um, we found out that my mum had been going along to a local church, not ours, and um, she became a Christian. Uh, About maybe five or six weeks after that, my sister also became a Christian, uh, my sister hasn 't always stayed with Christ, and so that relationship isn 't always wonderful, but my relationship with my mum is completely is completely transformed i I talk to my mum most days we spend loads of times together. We laugh, we talk, we have said lots of sorries to each other. Um, and yeah, I, I think that one of the most wonderful things is is being able to pray with my mum. That's amazing, and that my kids who are you know twenty one and eighteen and seventeen um, they don't know that mum that I knew. They know a wonderful nan who loves them and cherishes them and prays for them and honors their mum and dad, and honors them and and honors God.
1: It's so important that we underline that you know that God does amazing things, but it takes some, some time, sometimes. In terms of sorting other stuff out, and sometimes stuff doesn't get sorted out till eternity. can find my words. Um, I'd love to just ask you, I guess, a couple of other questions. Um, do you want to say more about just your own sense of things you've had to work through? Or do you think you covered that? Do you want to say about that?
2: I think um, when we were worshipping today, I said to Nay afterwards, Oh man, I'm just done now with the worship. And I went, No, I'm not. I'm just undone. And. <laughs> When we worship today, I just, just reminded just how I lived and just that my rule in life was do to others before they get a chance to do it to you. And and God's way is actually do to others what you want them to do to you. And so trying to live trusting others, trying to live being kind and generous to others was a long process Um, I would love, I would love to say, I'd love to say that the day after I got saved, I forgave everybody that did everything to me. That's just a lie. That was a process that took me a long time. Um, And I've had to work through that slowly. But I have been blessed to be Surrounded by people, by an amazing husband who is a prayer warrior and has always encouraged me and and upheld me, by church folk who have just loved me and put up with my faults and failings um, and just encouraged me to keep going forward, um, to keep going forward in Christ and and pushing in for Him. And I forgot what I was going to say.
1: Um, I think, I guess this is the last. This is the last. I was going to ask you. I guess what would you say to your younger self now? That that young girl who made a decision she was going to just put her fortress up. What would you say to her now?
2: So the first thing I would say is that things have changed a lot, a lot in terms of um, sexual abuse and sexual assault. Um, I don't think there is a policeman in the country that would respond now to the way that uh, the police responded to me, and that's really important to know. Um, I think that I would say to my very young self, uh, it's a lie from the pit of hell that nobody loves you because somebody does. He, our God and Savior, always loves you. And there are always actually people around you that love you. In reflection, I I can think of teachers who tried to go out of their way for me I can think of other people, pockets of people occasionally in my life who did try to love me. Um, to a little bit older self, I would say, Carolyn Bain, don't be an idiot. When you climb out that window, leave that stuff behind. Don't take your baggage with you. It's much easier to, to put something down and go, actually, I am done with that. I'm done with with hurting other people. I'm done with being bad, I'm done with that side of me, it's much easier to put that away than to lug the luggage of others, to lug the burdens and the stuff that other people have put on you with you all your life. It's too heavy, it's tiresome, it's exhausting, it's just not the way.
1: Fantastic. Carrie Bain. Uh, how, how long have you lived in Brighton, Carolyn?
2: Meryl, how long have you lived in Brighton? 11, 11 years. 11 years.
1: Carolyn's lived in, in uh, Brighton for 11 years. I've, I've been friends literally since the moment she arrived. Just, it's just gone really well and uh, enjoy each other's company and stuff. But it was, I didn't know Carolyn's story until about three years ago. And uh, we're going to move into a bit of ministry in a minute. But I, w- I want you to know that uh, so often we, we judge people, we think people are a certain way and all that kind of stuff without knowing their story. And When I soon as Karen told me her story, like three years ago, I mean, I to say I cried a little bit it would be an understatement. And uh, I was just like, man, look at your story. Look at look what God's done in your life. It, just, it changes your perspective on someone. You're like, oh, I just helps understand a little bit where you're coming from and what's going on in your life. And I just encourage you, ask the people their stories. Really listen and understand people. It changes the deal. That's what God does us. God knows us inside out. When he deals with us, he deals with gentleness and love. Let's encourage you to do the same. But I also want to just draw out the fact that uh, Karen's story really is about going from being someone who's unloved and living in a place of just not knowing love to a place of knowing God's lavish, amazing love and living in the amazing place of that and, and, and as a result having a fruitful life. And uh, softening and being healed and seeing others healed around her as well. I guess some of us in this room may know what it feels to be unloved as well. I, do you know what? I've had a great upbringing. My parents are Christians. Their parents are Christians. They loved me all my life. They've been brilliant to me. I've never gone hungry or that kind of stuff really. There's times where i felt unloved or bullied or hated on myself actually. And actually all of us need to bring that before God and say God you know what I choose to trust in your love and hear the truth that you've got over my life so we're going to stand to our feet now and uh, we're, I'm just going to pray for all of us and then we're just going to wait on God for a moment just see if there's maybe some stuff that God wants to do in the room okay let's just uh, let's we'll just close our eyes maybe thinking oh it's just a nice story and God's not doing anything right now but you know what just just throw that off for a sec you know, God could do anything in any moment. So just close our eyes where we are. Just in our hearts. Say, God, like, what is it you want to speak to me about? Let's, let's close our eyes. And Karen's going to pray for us.
2: Father, I thank you that you love us. And you love us unconditionally. That love never, ever changes, Father God. Whether we are victims, Father God, or whether we are aggressors, Lord, you love us. Your love is unfailing, Father God. You cover us with that love. You cover our sin. You cover all that we are, Father God. Lord, I thank you, Father God, for your hand over these young people. Each and every one of them, Father. You see every hurt. You see every joy. You see every happy moment, Father God. And you see every moment that breaks and crushes them. Lord and your desire, your plan for each one of them, is healing and restoration. I ask you, could come now, Holy Spirit, come. come, fall on these young people, Father God. Fall on them, flood their hearts, that so they would know they can trust you. God says, "Trust me. Trust me. know, I am God. I am God, your God, your Father, your Redeemer, your Savior. There is nothing I cannot do. I see you. I see you. Day in, day out, I see you. I hear you. I know you.
1: Uh, maybe here uh, this afternoon and you're feeling unloved or feeling lonely or just feeling in a dark place. We just have to pray for you. we will just minister God's love to you. If that's you, you're probably the least likely person to want to put your hand in the air. I encourage you to do that. And we've got people with orange t-shirts who are youth leaders here say, you know what? I'm not carrying a story. It's pretty extreme. But you know what? I do feel unloved right now. I do feel a bit lonely in the place I'm at. If that's you, just put a hand in the air. You won't be the only one, let me tell you. Well done. That's really brave. Well done. Well on. Okay. If you're knit, if you're an orange t-shirt, if you could just go, just put your hand on, these, hand on the shoulder of these guys, that'd be great. We're going to begin to pray for you. Just keep your hand up until someone's come next to you. Youth leaders and his t-shirts. If you just go to someone around you, near you. Guys with guys, girls with girls, that'd be great. We're just going to pray for you. There's a couple of things we want to say as well, though. Uh, this is Isabel. And Isabel's Karen's daughter. She's been doing BVs for the this week. She felt like God's saying something to her. I actually, I feel like saying it's me as well, but go for it.
2: Um, I just felt on the first night when Simon asked people if they wanted to become a Christian, you missed it. And then when Steph spoke last night and you missed it again, and then when Joe spoke today, and you missed it, and you just keep feeling like you keep missing your chance, and you can't, you can't come forward because you get a little bit too nervous, or it just kind of holds on to you, and you can't really move, or you can't really speak, and um, Steph said yesterday, where, where sin abounds, grace abounds, all the more, and God can forgive every single sin, anything that you've ever, ever done, but all you've got to do is just come forward, and I'd love to pray for you, and Stephen would love to pray for you, and Carolyn would love to pray for you.
1: I have felt as Karen's telling a story just about the fact that Meryl walked to the front and someone came to, to him and she was like, typical, it's not me again. Maybe that's you. Just saying, actually, you know I just felt I overlooked. That's just me as well. Actually, we just love to pray for you as well. So if you're, that's it. You haven't got to come forward. Put your hand up. We're going to come to you. Okay. You're like you know what? I feel like I've missed the boat. I, I, want, I want in. You can put your hand up as well. That's, that's brave. Hey, well done, mate. Good stuff. I'm going to pray. And if that's one of you, the hands up. Just stay where you are. We're going to keep coming to you. And then we're going to close in just a minute. Okay, let me pray. Father God, we just want to thank you so much that not one of us is overlooked by you. Not one person, not one of us was created without you being involved, Lord God. You knew us before you created the whole universe. What an amazing truth, Lord God. And you know our names and you want to express your love to us. Lord God, not just for us to know it in our heads, but to know it right in the depth of our being. And I want to pray for those who are feeling unloved, I want to pray for those who are feeling lonely. I want to pray for those who feel like they've missed the boat. Lord God, you might just come to them right now with your grace and your mercy and your goodness. And you might minister to them. I pray for those in the room who've just known a prolonged season. Known a long time and just feeling down and sad and depressed. I say, God, would you just come and just bring light and hope to them. And Lord, we know it's not always a a flick of a switch. Sometimes it takes a journey. So we'll walk out of those things, Lord God. But I pray, give them boldness and courage and strength. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
0: Amen. If you're being prayed for, please do, uh, don't rush off. If you put your hand up and no one's come and prayed for you yet, come on, head down the front here. We'd love to pray for you. If um, anything Carolyn's spoken about this morning has struck you, perhaps you've been bullied at school, perhaps... There's abuse that's going on in your life you want to talk through or maybe anything. Please do come. We would love to pray with you as a team and just talk things through. Um, but we're going to bring our, our time together to an end there. Um, let me just read out the winning numbers for the, uh, for the Ben and Jerry's. If you've got a ticket, please do. If you win, don't shout. Just kind of wander over to the door over there and they'll give you your ice cream. Uh, 9, 37, 59, 82, 71, and the bonus number is 15. Okay? You can go and get your ice solutes. If you want prayer, your ice solutes or your ice cream will be waiting for you after prayer. So don't worry about that. But God bless you. Thank you so much for being with us. And we'll see you tomorrow for our Guys and Girls Seminars.